Chapter One Leaving Home of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Leaving Home. A lady in deep mourning was sitting, crying bitterly, by a fire in a small lodgings in the town of Yarmouth. Beside her stood a tall lad of sixteen. He was slight in build, but his schoolfellows knew that Charlie Marriott's muscles were as fame and hard as those of any boy in the school. In all sports requiring activity and endurance rather than weight and strength, he was always conspicuous. Not one in the school could compete with him in long-distance running, and when he was one of the hares, there was but little chance for the hounds. He was a capital swimmer, one of the best boxers in the school. He had a reputation for being a leader in every mischievous prank, but he was honorable and manly, would scorn to shelter himself under the semblance of a lie, and was a prime favorite with his masters, as well as his schoolfellows. His mother bewailed the frequency with which he returned home with blackened eyes and bruised face, for between Dr. Willett's school and the fisher lads of Yarmouth there was a standing feud, whose origins dated so far back that none of those now at school could trace it. Consequently, fierce fights often took place in the narrow rows, and sometimes the fisher boys would be driven back on the broad quay shaded by trees by the river and there being reinforced from the craft along the side would reassume the offensive and drive their opponents back into the main street it was but six months since charlie had lost his father who was the officer in command at the coast guard station and his scanty pension was now all that remained for the support of his widow and children his mother had talked his future prospects over many times with charlie the latter was willing to do anything but could suggest nothing his father had but little naval interests and had for years been employed on coast guard service charlie agreed that although he should have liked of all things to go to sea it was useless to think of it now for he was past the age at which he could have entered as a midshipman the matter had been talked over four years before with his father but the latter had pointed out that a life in the navy without interest is in most cases a very hard one if a chance of distinguishing himself happened promotion would follow but if not he might be for years on the shore starving on half pay and waiting in vain for an appointment while officers with more luck and better interest went over his head other professions had been discussed but nothing determined upon when lieutenant marriott suddenly died charlie although an only son was not an only child as he had two sisters both younger than himself after a few months of effort mrs marriott found that that the utmost she could hope to do with her scanty income was to maintain herself and her daughters and to educate them until they should reach an age where they could earn their own living as governesses but that charlie's keep and education were beyond her resources she had therefore very reluctantly written to an uncle whom she had not seen for many years her family having objected very strongly to her marriage with a penniless lieutenant in the navy she informed him of the loss of her husband 
and that although her income was sufficient to maintain herself and her daughters she was most anxious to start her son who was now sixteen in life and therefore begged him to use his influence to obtain for him a situation of some sort the letter which she now held in her hand was the answer to the appeal my dear niece it began since you by your own foolish conduct and opposition to all our wishes separated yourself from your family and went your own way in life i have heard little of you as the death of your parents so shortly afterward deprived me of all sources of information i regret to hear of the loss which you have suffered i have already taken the necessary steps to carry out your wishes i yesterday dined with a friend who is one of the directors of the Honorable East India Company, and at my request he has kindly placed a writership in the company at your son's service. He will have to come up to London to see the board next week, and will probably have to embark for India a fortnight later. I shall be glad if he will take up his abode with me during the intervening time i shall be glad also if you will favor me with a statement of your income and expenses with such details as you may think necessary i enclose four five-pound banknotes in order that your son may obtain such garments as may be immediately needful for his appearance before the board of directors and for his journey to london i remain my dear niece yours sincerely joshua tufton it is cruel mrs marriott sobbed cruel to take you away from us and send you to india where you will most likely die of fever or be killed by a tiger or stabbed by one of those horrid neighbors in a fortnight not so bad as that mother i hope charlie said sympathizing although he could not repress a smile other people have managed to live out there and have come back safe yes mrs marriott said sobbing i know how you will come back a little yellow shriveled up old man with no liver and a dreadful temper and a black servant i know what it will be this time charlie could not help laughing that's looking too far ahead altogether mother you take the two extremes if i don't die in a fortnight i am to live to be a shriveled old man i'd rather take a happy medium and look forward to coming back before my liver is all gone and my temper all destroyed well, lots of money to make you and the girls comfortable there is only one thing i wish if it had been a cadetship instead of a writership this is my only comfort mrs marriott said if it had been a cadetship i should have written to say that i would not let you go it is bad enough as it is but if you had to fight i could not have borne it Charlie did his best to console his mother by telling her how everyone who went to India made fortunes, and how he should be sure to come back with plenty of money, and that when the girls grew up he should be able to find rich husbands for them, and at last he succeeded in getting her to look at matters in a less gloomy light. I am sure, mother, he said, uncle means kindly. He sends twenty pounds, you see, and says that is for immediate necessities so i have no doubt he means to help to get my alfred or at any rate to advance money which i can repay him out of my salary the letter is rather stiff and businesslike of course but i suppose that's the way 
and you see he asks about your income, so perhaps he means to help for the girl's education. I should go away very happy if I knew that you would be able to get on comfortably. Of course, it's a long way off, mother, and I should have liked to stay at home to be a help to you and the girls, but one can't have all one wishes. As far as I am concerned, myself, I would rather go out as a writer there, where I shall see strange sights and a strange country, and then, then be stuck all my life at a desk in London. What is Uncle like? He is a short man, my dear, rather stiff and pompous, with a very stiff cravat. He used to give me his finger to shake when I was a child, and I was always afraid of him. He married a most disagreeable woman only a year or two before I married myself, but I heard she died not very long afterwards, and so Mrs. Marriott got talking of her early days and relations and was quite in good spirits again. By the time her daughters returned from school and she told them what she was now coming to regard as the good fortune which had befallen their brother. The girls were greatly affected. They adored their brother, and the thought that he was going away for years was terrible to them. Nothing that could be said pacified them in the slightest degree, and they did nothing but cry until they retired to bed. Charlie was much affected by their sorrow, but when they had retired, he took his hat and went out to tell the news of his approaching departure to some of his chums. The next day, Mrs. Marriott wrote, thanking her uncle for his kindness and saying that Charlie would go round to London by the packet which sailed on the following Monday and would, if the wind fair and all went well, reach London on Wednesday. School was, of course, at once given up and the girls also had a holiday till their brother's departure when the necessary clothes were ordered there was little more to do and charlie spent the time when his boy friends were in school in walking with the girls along the shore talking to them of the future of the presents he would send them home and of the life he should lead in india while at other times he went out with his favorite schoolfellows and joined in one last grand battle with the smack boys on monday morning after a sad farewell to his family charlie embarked on board the yarmouth bell a packet which performed the journey to and from london once a fortnight she was a roomy lugger built for stowage rather than speed and her hold was crammed and her deck piled with packages of salted fish there were five or six other persons also bound for london the journey to which was in those days regarded as an arduous undertaking as soon as the yarmouth bell issued from the mouth of the river she began to pitch heavily and charlie who from frequently going out with his father in the revenue cutter was a good sailor busied himself in doing his best for his afflicted fellow passengers towards evening the wind got up and shifting ahead the captain dropped anchor off Lowestoft. The next morning was finer, and the Yarmouth Bell continued her way. It was not, however, till Thursday afternoon that she dropped anchor in the pool. Charlie was soon on shore, and giving his truck to a porter, desired him to lead the way to Bread Street, in which his uncle resided. For in the last century, such things as country villas were almost unknown, and the merchants of London 
for the most part resided in the houses where they carried on their business keeping close to the porter to see that he did not make off with his trunk for charlie had received many warnings as to the extreme wickedness of london he followed him through the busy streets and arrived safely at his uncle's door it was now dusk and charlie on giving his name was shown upstairs to a large room which was lighted by a fire blazing in the hearth standing with his back to this was a gentleman whom he at once recognized from his mother's description as his uncle although he was a good deal more portly than when she had seen him last so you are my grandnephew he said holding out what charlie considered to be a very limp and flabby hand towards him yes uncle charlie said cheerfully and we are very much obliged to mamma and i for your kindness hump the old gentleman grunted and how is it he asked severely that you were not here yesterday my niece's letter led me to expect that you would arrive yesterday we came as fast as we could uncle charlie laughed but of course the time depends upon the wind the captain tells me that he has been as much as three weeks coming round mr tufton grunted again as if to signify that such unpunctuality was altogether displeasing to him you are tall he said looking up at charlie who stood half a head above him and thin very thin you have a loose way of standing which i don't approve of i'm sorry i'm loose sir charlie said gravely if you do not approve of it but you see running about and playing games makes one listen i suppose now that's all over and i'm going to spend my time in writing i shall get stiffer i hope so i hope so mr tufton said encouragingly as if stiffness were one of the most desirable things in life i like to see young men with a sedate bearing and you left my niece and grandnieces well i hope quite well thank you sir charlie said but of course a good deal upset with parting from me yes mr tufton said i suppose so women are so emotional now there's nothing i object to more than emotion as charlie thought that this was probably the case he was silent although the idea vaguely occurred to him that he should like to excite a little emotion in his uncle by the sudden insertion of a pin or some other such means the silence continued for some time and then mr tufton said i always dine at two o'clock but as probably you are hungry i have observed that boys always are hungry some food will be served you in the next room i have already given my housekeeper orders no doubt you will find it prepared after that you may like to take a walk in the streets i have supper at nine by which hour you will of course have returned charlie as he ate his meal thought to himself that his uncle was a pompous old gentleman and that it would be very hard to work getting on with him but the next three weeks however he consoled himself by the thought kind is as kind does after all and i expect the old gentleman is not as crusty as he looks charlie had handed to mr tufton a letter which his mother had given him and when he returned from a ramble through the streets he found that gentleman sitting by the fire with lights upon a small table beside him upon this mrs marriott's letter lay open so you have soon become tired of the streets of london grandnephew he said 
there is not much to see sir the lamps do not burn very brightly and the fog is coming on i thought that if it grew thicker i might lose my way and in that case i might not have been here at the hour you named for supper <laughs> the other gentleman grunted so your mother has taught you to be punctual to meals but no boys appetite teach them to be punctual then if never at any other time and why sir he asked severely did my niece not write to me before i don't know sir charlie said i suppose she did not like that is she didn't think that is i ain't. thank you sir i like sir and said his uncle what right had she to either think or to like her duty clearly was to have made me acquainted at once with all the circumstances i suppose i had a right to say whether i approved of my grandnieces going tramping about the world as governesses or not it isn't because a woman chooses by her folly to separate herself from her family that they are to be deprived of their rights in a matter of this kind eh sir what do you say to that and mr tufton looked very angry indeed i don't know sir charlie said i have never thought the matter over why sir suppose she had made you a tinker sir and you turned out a thief as likely as not you would have done and you've been hung sir what then am i to have such discredit as this brought upon me without my having any option in the matter i suppose not sir charlie said i hope i shouldn't have turned out a thief even if i'd been a tinker but perhaps it was because my mother feared that this might be the case that she did not give you the option his uncle looked at him keenly but charlie through some difficulty maintained the gravest face it is well she did so mr tufton said very well if she had not done so i should have known the reason why and you sir do you like the thought of going to india yes uncle i like the thought very much though i would rather if i may say so have gone as a cadet i thought so mr tufton said sarcastically i was sure of it you wanted to wear a red coat and a sword and to swagger about the streets of calcutta instead of making an honorable living and acquiring a fortune i don't think sir charlie said that the idea of the red coat and sword entered into my mind but it seemed to me the choice of a life of activity and adventure against one as a mere clerk had you entered the military service of the company even if you didn't get shot you could only hope to rise to the command of a regiment ranking with a civilian very low down on the list the stupidity of boys is unaccountable it's a splendid career sir that i have opened to you but if i'd known that you had no ambition i would have put you into my own counting house through there that wouldn't have done either for i know you would have blotted the ledger and turned all the accounts topsy-turvy and now sir supper is ready and the old gentleman led the way into the next room upon the following day charlie was introduced by his uncle to the director who had given him his nomination and was told by him that the board would sit upon the following day and that he must call at the india house at eleven o'clock the ordeal was not a formidable one 
he was shown into a room where eight or ten elderly gentlemen were sitting round a large table among these were his friend of the day before he was asked a question or two about his age his father's profession and his place of education then the gentleman at the head of the table nodded to him and said he could go and instructions would be sent to him and that he was to prepare to sail in the lizzie anderson which would leave the docks in ten days time and that he would be for the present stationed in madras much delighted at having got through the ordeal so easily charlie returned to his uncle's he did not venture to penetrate into the latter's counting-house but awaited his coming upstairs to dinner to tell him the news come said his uncle it is lucky they did not find out what a fool you were at once i was rather afraid that even the two minutes would do it after dinner i will send my clerk round with you to get the few things which are necessary for your voyage i suppose you will want to what you call amuse yourself to see the beasts at exeter change and the playhouses here are two sovereigns don't get into loose company and don't get drinking sir or out the house you go charlie attempted to express his thanks but his uncle stopped him abruptly hold your tongue sir i am doing what is right a thing sir joshua tufton always has done and doesn't expect to be thanked for it all i ask you is that if you rob the company's till and are hung don't mention that you are related to me after dinner was over charlie went out under the charge of an old clerk and visited tailors and outfitters shops and found that his uncle's idea of few necessities for a voyage differed very widely from his own the clerk in each case inquired from the tradesman what was the outfit which gentlemen going to india generally took with them and charlie was absolutely appalled at the magnitude of the orders four dozen shirts ten dozen pairs of stockings two dozen suits of white cotton cloth and everything else in proportion charlie in vain remonstrated and even implored the clerk to abstain from ordering what appeared to him such a fabulous amount of things and begged him at any rate to wait until he had spoken to his uncle the clerk however replied that he had received instructions that the full usual outfit was to be obtained and that mr tufton never permitted his orders to be questioned charlie was forced to submit but he was absolutely oppressed with the magnitude of his outfit to carry which six huge trunks were required it is awful charlie said to himself positively awful how much it will all come to goodness only knows three or four hundred pounds at least in those days before steam was thought of and the journey to india was often of six months duration men never came home more than once in seven years and often remained in india from the day of their arrival until they finally retired without once revisiting england the outfits taken out were therefore necessarily much larger than at the present time when i run home to england can be accomplished in three weeks and there are plenty of shops in every town in india where all european articles of necessity or luxury can be purchased after separating from the clerk clock charlie felt altogether unable to start out in search of amusement 
he wandered about vaguely till supper time and then attempted to address his uncle on the subject my dear uncle he began you have been so awfully kind to me that i really do not like to trespass upon you i am positively frightened at the outfit your clerk has ordered it is enormous i'm sure i can't want so many things possibly and i would really rather take a much smaller outfit and then as i want them i can have more things out from england and pay for them myself you don't suppose mr tufton said sternly that i'm going to have my nephew go out to india with outfit of a cabin boy i ordered that you were to have the proper outfit of a gentleman and i requested my clerk to order a considerable portion of the things to be made of a size which will allow for your growing for you look to me as if you were likely enough to run up into a lanky giant of six feet high i suppose he has done as i ordered him don't let me hear another word on the subject end of chapter one